Hello and welcome to the, the Drywall, Drywall Podcast. Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Harmon. I've been in and around the drywall industry for more than 20 years. I've worked in the union, finished piece rate, and worked hourly with many different companies and people spanning the West Coast and beyond. The Drywall Podcast will be exploring the world of drywall and interviewing the professionals that make it happen. Hello and welcome to a very technical episode of the drywall podcast i'm extremely excited to have elliot and aaron st james of columbia tools with us we get deep into the weeds right out of the gate talking about the history of ames tools and how their father got his hands on some tools in a back shop of a drywall supply yard and started tooling his way to a new product line the thing about, yeah we, 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 we used to, awesome. go to, a, to, to a town 30 years ago crack a phone book right you crack yeah. a phone book sure. go, okay, there's the lw yard there's the gms yard and there's the two independent yards for, like say in reno nevada or somewhere like that and then you just go and start talking to these guys and Generally speaking, you get a, a similar reception across the country based on independent or- Elliot and Aaron and I have a fantastic time talking shop, uh, both literally and figuratively. The Drywall Podcast was brought to you today by Fresco Harmony. Fresco Harmony, making walls better since 2004. If you'd like information about Fresco Harmony, the Drywall Podcast, or anything, you can email me directly at info at frescoharmony.com. But for now, Elliot and Aaron St. James of Columbia Tools on the 23rd podcast on the Drywall Podcast. Let's there get it into it. Okay. Hey, good morning. Give me a second. Make sure I'm on the... So does this sound good, this mic? Sounds great. Yeah. Okay. No, because it was trying to automatically put me on the laptop speaker, which kind of sounds tinny. So I just want to make sure you can hear it good. Dude, people, I do interviews with people like from their truck. Yeah, I know. I know. I don't know the, I don't know the difference still. It's like, I can kind of like, oh yeah, that sounds a little bit better. But to me, the content is paramount. Cool. Cool. Where are you? You're in your office? I am. Nice. Yeah, this is actually uh there's a bank right upstairs. <laughs> this is yeah. a, this is a bank vault. Yeah. Okay. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. A, yeah, it's like a wow. little door. And yes, that was my good. that was my original office was uh like uh in the that, vault? It was in the vault and then this whole space that I'm in right here, there was like some girl, she was doing like makeup, eye makeup tattoo. Okay. And okay. she moved out and she was out for a couple of months. And I was like, told the, I was like, how much is that space? How much yeah. you want for that space next door? He was like 250 bucks. What is it about New Mexico and nail salons and businesses like better call Saul, right? Remember? Yeah. There's, there's something about, there's something going on here. <laughs> is there? I thought, I thought, I thought to nail salons and like, uh, I thought that was universal. Have you, no, but have you watched? Better Call Saul? Yeah, my wife actually was a script supervisor on season four of Better Call Saul. That's right. Yeah, you said that. But, but you know you know how he's like in the back of the nail slot? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you started talking about the, you started talking about you in the vault, right? Which is Mesa <laughs> right. Verde. It's obviously right. Mesa Verde, right? Mesa Verde. 
that that's the bank in in, in the show <laughs> oh no it's bank of albuquerque no it's uh, not. i think you listen to your wife at night I think oh, Mesa, Mesa Verde is uh, made up. We actually, fun fact, though. Oh, it's made up. It's made up, yeah. We had uh, the fish from Saul, I think, season two. You know, his the, fish. The big tank? like the. Yeah, he, he had a little fish tank, and they'd always do the zoom up on the little gold fish. Yeah. So yeah. We, we had those fish for a while. They've since died. But <laughs> <laughs> I had them Very for like cool. two years. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. I've met, uh, I've met Bob Odenkirk a couple of times. Yeah. Um, you know, she doesn't let me go around the celebs cause yeah, I'm yeah. an, I'm an idiot, you know? Sorry, Daniel Francois is calling. We just like, he's had the product in his shop for like four weeks. And it's like, I just had this long winded conversation with somebody that's doing Fresco Harmony out of the El Paso store. And it's like, he calls like 15 minutes before the interview. And it's like, you know how it is when you're a small business, like got to yeah. take all the calls and all of that. Call him right now. Let's, let's talk to him. <laughs> call Danny, put him on. Call him up. Is that L&W El Paso? Is that That's L&W El Paso. Okay. Nice. Let's talk. Hey, Nick. Hey, Danny, how's it going? Uh, hey, you're on, you're live on the drywall podcast. I hope that's okay. Yeah, that's great. I, I like that. I, but hey, I wanted to answer your call because you called me twice here. So you have a follow up question? Yeah. Uh, on the, when you say the clear sealer, yeah. it's, where, it's where I can see the spray sealer, right? The spray sealer is different than the trowel sealer. The trowel sealer oh. is in the gallon buckets. The spray sealer is in those like jugs. And I wouldn't, that's special stuff. I would sell the, trial sealer that's the better stuff okay hey did you have real quick did you have any questions for aaron and elliot of columbia tools do you guys carry columbia over there yeah we, we carry the columbia so uh, how's, what, how, how's the columbia what's the columbia doing over there do you, you pluses minuses <laughs> no, uh, very little you know they're they're not uh they don't call on us. We have to call on them. And then I think we switch. <laughs> we, we do handle Columbia, but uh, I think we switch to some other. You're talking about the the bazooka, right? Sure. Yeah. The Predator, the box tools. Um, yeah. yeah. Right now we have uh, the, the Columbia, but uh, uh, we need some more support. So I'll uh, call you. I'll call uh, you right after the show here, Danny. I'll call you right after the show. Let's get him some support. Let's get it to him. Okay, this, yeah. these guys said, I know that you you can't really hear what they're saying because I got my earbuds in, but they said they're going to call you right after the show and like hook you up with all kinds of support. Okay, sounds good. All right, buddy, we'll talk soon. Uh, okay, bye. Okay, bye. All right. You know, my uh, our dad drove down there and uh, yeah, he, our dad drove down there and met him. We never, we've never been down there and I've never been out past of you. I think uh, we, we've been there uh, once or twice, but uh, like never, as, as, a, as a brand or whatever. Yeah. I've been to Lubbock. I've been to, I've been to, uh, been close, but I never, that's another like 200 miles. I think you're I, close to it, right? It's close to Albert. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I drove, I drove the product down. I'm trying to kind of keep it regional so that I can get to these places and give them, he was already saying like, so these, They've already sold a job. One guy down there has sold a restaurant in Fresco Harmony, which is awesome. Um, yeah, I see. Like what they need, like what, like the, him calling you and asking for pricing that he likely has in the building. 
that's the kind of support he's talking about from us too, because these guys think about all the products they have to represent oh, on yeah. the counter, right? Like yeah. they have to represent all these products in different sizes and lengths and steel stuff. That's their job nowadays. though. That's their no, job. That's true. That's true. Yeah. But yeah. nowadays prices are changing every month with <laughs> no, that's a lot true. of these products too, right? I think the problem, the, the deeper problem with some of these supply yards is systems and like, they're not dialed like other, you know, they sell, mud they sell sheetrock they sell acoustical uh tile they sell like steel studs and then like if it's a specialty item they're like what do we do you know because they make all their money off the bulk products of stucco and stuff like that that's going out the door and that gets into another reason why it's challenging to push new products in this industry because everybody's bogged down with the big sellers. Well, yeah, it's more yeah. work for them to push your product, right? They're, they they got what they're pushing every day, and it, people come in and want it. And to push your product, it's a lot. Yes, of work. that's yeah. what it's paramount that a product in this industry needs to have legs on its own. It needs to have its own merit. It has to be good, yeah. otherwise, it's not going to make it. Almost like the drywall yard needs to have a core area where guys are checking out their mud and their bead. They're going on the counter with their with their their ticket, and there's some sundries around there. There almost has to be like a thousand or five hundred square foot showroom off to the side. This one guy that does specialty stuff, yeah, like for everybody. And because there's, there's a few different types of tapers out there. Obviously, there's guys fire taping warehouses that it's just firewall, right? And then there's guys doing a restaurant like you're talking about with Fresco Harmony. So, it. so it almost has to be like like a different area for them to be able to go into. And I wonder if that'd be a profitable model. I wonder. You know, you'd have to have a, a full time presence in that area, educated on everything. But. You're talking once again about a paradigm shift. Getting yeah. getting these drywall supply warehouses to think, start thinking about the value of new products. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so El Paso L and W selling a color joint compound system is going to make that location more valuable. Or if they're selling the only predator in town, then that makes yeah. that location more valuable. It kind of has to kind of go from the bottom up marketing kind yeah. of like that. Yeah. But it pushes us as brands to make our product good enough that people want to come in and buy it too. Though. Like, I mean, that it does put the onus on us to, make a great product, advertise it properly and make sure that people want that brand in the yard so that it becomes a normal thing. Right. Yeah. yeah I, we were talking a little bit about branding and I, one thing when we were creating the Fresco Harmony brand was sexiness. I see like, I see brands like, you know, I see stucco pigments and stuff with like a, a white generic label on them in a plastic bag. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And I'm yeah. like, dude, it's, yeah. it's so easy to compete against that and just make a decent brand with like a decent package. Like that's kind of, it's becoming more prevalent, especially in your space with the tools. But like in, in, in my space, like look at a box of mud. I mean, they're ugly. There's no, there's no taste. Yeah. I think branding is becoming even more important with uh, web buying. Like people can't see and handle everything all the time. And with overseas manufacturing, there's a lot of brands that are just kind of, they just stand them up quickly. Just to, they just stand up a brand name. And I'm not talking about in mud. I'm talking about just in tools, more like, like hammers or uh, like a, a clinch on corner bead system, a tool that 
when you're online, I think a brand name is even more important because once you get it to your door, you don't want to have to return it, right? Like I'm, I'm thinking that it's, it's well, online's also like it's a if if you're not on the front page of the website and nobody's looking for you, you're never going to sell anything online. True. Like your your products must be hard to sell online if you're not having the online dealer promote it, right? I sell them. I sell you them through, sell them. You I sell sell them them. through the okay. Facebook groups and they're creating, nice. yeah. they're creating energy that way. And then we have 1500 followers on the Instagram page. Um, I felt like that was a big part of marketing when I started, because I think that's where distribution is going anyways. So yeah. that, that division, if you will, of Fresco Harmony, to me out of the gate was very important to have a WooCommerce system where people could get my products easily. And they are looking for Venetian plaster on Google and specialty wall finish and even color joint compound. So people fi find me virally like that. Um, now, now it's the drywall podcast. I can just say, oh, we'll just go to the website or uh, request a sample pack and I'll send you a free sample pack. And then from there, I'll tell you exactly what to do. And then I have to nurture nice. nurture nice. them down the path. You're, very you're, much you're like tr your training, very much yeah. like that, how you train somebody up. You're, you're still in like the, the brand awareness market penetration stage where yeah. you, you need to hit a critical mass over time of core users or hit that one special user that has a lot of influence in their town. You know what I yeah. mean? Like there, there's but that's the that's the distributor, that and that's the main value of the distributor. It isn't to sell product. It's like a giant advertisement where drywallers yeah. come into the store and they're like, "What's this?" Those guys aren't like surfing the web, no. and they don't know it exists. Uh -oh. So that's yeah. where, for me, that's where the and I had no idea this was going to occur until we started selling out of L and W in Albuquerque. I had no idea that like the distributor, the drywall distributor was going to be a, such a crucial, like part of this equation, you part know? So I guess L and W, uh, the history behind that name, I heard it a few years back was there was two USG employees, uh, Lionheart and Wallace, that's the initials are for, and they, they started the company internally at United States Gypsum using their initials, Lionheart and Wallace, and they started buying up yards and, and, but nobody knew USG owned them. Okay. So it was like a way to have their own distribution without being public about it. And eventually, obviously, people learned that that's what it was. But even the origins of the company was not really, it was just to move board mud, right? It, it, that was the origin of the company. It wasn't to sell Fresco Harmony or Columbia Tools, right? Okay. It's evolved. LW's evolved. They have oh, really yeah. nice showrooms, right? And they, or the yeah, other. they and yeah. they're remodeling, so they are taking yeah. that whole image thing. It's so serious that they're investing capital into yeah. dramatically blowing out their one in Albuquerque. It's like night and day. Like they went from an ugly, and you've seen the ugly sh showrooms, huh? Wasn't that one a trailer before? Yeah, I don't know. It's extraordinary. It was the old Calply here in Albuquerque, okay. and, okay. Then, and then L and W bought Calply. And they were yeah. in their old ugly showroom. It was like people bumping into each other, stains on the wall. And the, you know, that was my first my first drywall location, which was super cool. Oh. But I mean, the remodel that they did is extraordinary. Like, like you. 10 times the size, 
b- red, white, and blue. Yeah. Uh, new paint, new drywall, beautiful machine and everything. Plenty of room. There's a big screen TV on the wall. You know, uh, private offices for the higher ups. And and I'm like, that is so smart in this industry. Yeah. That is really smart marketing because now people just come there because they like the energy, yeah, man. Want to hang out, right? Yeah. They yeah. Went, they went to like the University of or Texas Tech or I forget. It was somewhere in Texas. They uh, the the higher ups at L and W and USG went there to talk about the brand and this professor of uh, retailing. They worked with him. And the advice I believe was no more locations until you make them uniform, right? Like, and so this uh, was a, part of a branding approach from years ago. Yeah, they used to have all different names, like building specialty. Yeah. See, okay. yeah. So, yeah. so they, they they were told like they were told like the recommendation was not to necessarily grow anymore because they weren't leveraging the growth. The growth. They were they were all like leaving. So like, GMS on the other hand, they. Um, bought out all these independents, which they all were originally independents, five locations, two locations, one location, sometimes up to 10 locations. But GMS, apparently from what I heard, they gave everybody shares in the in, in GMS. Like the, the when you sold your yard, say in Albuquerque as an independent, which is uh what what are they called now? The 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 Chaparral. Chaparral. So yeah, so Chaparral was maybe owned by an independent before. Life yeah, Boom. we have a Chaparral here. Chaparral, yeah. They're owned by GMS. GMS, yeah. but I think it was independent before. Yeah. And then what they did with all how GMS grew so fast, I think it was like these, these the Rue brothers out of out of the East Coast or the Midwest. I need to interview those guys. Long story short, they left each individual owner some shares in the mothership. So when they went to go public, it was a big problem because they had all these shareholders. Right. And, uh, but what I'm trying to say is everybody tried to do what you're talking about. Leave it local. That's what I'm trying to talk about. Uh, L&W seems like they're doing that. Totally. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Smart. They're smart because drywall is a local thing. Unless you're like downtown San Francisco, then no, it's corporate. Right. But in your state, in, in, in Washington state, it's a local thing. Even Seattle city, it's local. It's really smart because those guys that are already working in those shops have relationships with all the applicators. And they go hunting together and they go fishing together and they go bowling together and they do also like place. They, they, you, there's a lot of relationships in those okay. yards. There's a lot like okay. coaching, coaching baseball and yeah. the stuff you hear. Over the, it, it, they become real tight. Especially okay, in the so, smaller towns. so just to give our listening audience a couple of things, yes. um, which one's Aaron and which one's Elliot? I'm Elliot. <laughs> Because I've only talked to you guys on the phone. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I had it backwards in my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. okay, all right, all right. Uh, um, yeah. So, so what we're discussing, and just to clarify for the listening sure. audience, is that, like, in in a lot of our listening audience, they'll go to a local drywall supply shop, and they don't really take all of this into consideration. Yes. But we're talking about the resistance to uh, maybe you know, new products and innovation in the yeah. space. So what we're talking about is these larger entities coming in and buying out all of these, all of these smaller locations where you buy your product. And that's why the, the local shop that you've gone to for years, all of a sudden turns into an L and W where there yeah. it's happening all over the country on a very large scale. And I like talking about some of the issues that 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 come along with that. Well, that's where we 
years ago noticed this happening and we thought we had to be something that has to be in these locations just like mud or board we that's where we came up with the display boards whereas if it's not on the shelf people aren't going to request it they're not going to okay but if you can see it and you can pick it up just like a but i think about worker. columbia tools i'm like you guys have always been there right no you didn't yeah. have to work you didn't have to work to get into those yeah stores. right yeah <laughs> true yeah we used to be in cardboard boxes <laughs> on the shelf getting dust on them right so yeah we we, we used to go to a town and you're like okay <laughs> literally crap this is we're talking 10 years ago like it's not even that long ago. well years you're ago. like hey have you guys sold any any uh any columbia tools yet and they're like still in the box in the back yeah. of the warehouse oh, yeah. like oh, yeah. like yeah. blood dust on them yeah it's it was yeah. the same it was the same with trim text the specialty corner beads like you get the, the sample box <sighs> You could bl yeah. blow dust off of it. Like yeah. that's how that's how little yeah. people. You got to go in the back with the guy and show him what you're talking about. Because yeah, the the thing about yeah, we we, we, we used to awesome. go to a, to, to a town 30 years ago, crack a phone book, right? You crack yeah. a phone book. Sure. You go, okay, there's the LW yard. There's the GMS yard, and there's the two independent yards, for, like say in Reno, Nevada, or somewhere like that. And then you just go and start talking to these guys and. Generally speaking, you get a, a similar reception across the country based on independent or or the chain they were part of. Not not that it was good or bad. You just kind of each yard had a certain feel to it. Oh, yeah. The independents uh, used to always be what we call double breasted, which uh, the, the littlest guy would be the biggest drywaller in town, and he and he'd have a shop. Yeah, where he had a an account where he could order gypsum from a brand uh, or mud from a brand. Interesting. I actually think all the yards started out as what they call double breasted. I think, I think that was a big thing uh, yeah. in the, in the fifties and sixties, like they, uh -huh. they were the drywaller in town, you know, that's fascinating. And so this sort of gets into, uh, you know, and going back to the beginning, um, which is a good place to start. And I already told Cam, like, let's go back to, uh, sure. we were talking a little bit about Ames and, yeah. uh, how Columbia sort of broke onto the scene and specifically your dad. And I love that story. Um, let's go back yeah. to the beginning. Sure. So uh, our dad was a drywall uh, taper finisher in the seventies, late sixties, early seventies. And then he um, became a drywall contractor where he bid the jobs. Okay. You know, and then uh, got into developing homes too, for a while there. Right. At the end, yeah. He, but he, he must have been like a tinkerer, right? He must have been like oh, kind of an inventor, yeah. tinker type. He yeah. loves innovation. Okay. And making something work faster than it should. Or, yeah, he yeah he loves yeah. anything that can help get the job done. Yeah, so he was um, he was drywall contractor in a small town on Vancouver Island. Okay. And he hired a guy from the prairies like which is above um above north dakota it, it's it's winnipeg um so he hired a, a sub a sub a taper to tape one of his houses that he had bought the board for in stock and had it hung as as you know the process and uh anyways this guy his name was len he made more money on the job than my dad did <laughs> but he had these aims taping tools okay and so my dad didn't didn't know that's awesome things. that's awesome yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so he, he, um, he had brought up, he brought, he found them in Winnipeg. So Ames at the time, they looked at Canada, which all the populations in Ontario and Montreal, in Tr Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver is the three major cities. Well, they decided at the time, Winnipeg's in the middle of the country. Why don't we put our store in Winnipeg? It was right in the middle, right? Kind of like looking at America and putting your store in Omaha, right? Or something like that. 
Yeah, they yeah. I don't think they knew population stuff at the time, or maybe it was a shipping Joe, thing. Joe uses that uses that strategy because of shipping. Sure, yeah, it, it, for it sure. could have been shipping related. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So um, this guy come up from the prairies, and my dad said, "I got to learn these things." So then he rented a set from me. Okay. He hates renting, by the way. And to, and for our listeners too, if you don't know, in the beginning, you were only able to rent the tools. You had yes, yeah. you had to rent. You had and to, what? Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the strategy behind that, and then we'll go back to the story. Sure. So why did um, they do that? I think it, originally, I think the Ames brothers. Um, I've heard different theories, but I think they couldn't convince people to spend the money at the time and and do the upkeep. Like, I think the ticket was so high at the time in, in, in 19... I think a taper was $2,000. Okay. We're talking 1961, You could buy a car for $10,000. That was right? like 20, that was like 20,000. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and then, and then the repair and maintenance. So, and then I think when they got bought by this Bliss and Lachlan company, the steel company, I think they loved the strategy and they wanted to stand at the time it was bought. There wasn't money. The I five was kind of it like the interstate five from California up to, up to Seattle. Yeah. And I'm, from, probably, I'm from Vancouver, Washington, from Vancouver. So, so yeah. yeah, Portland. I'm so, familiar uh, with I five. That's yeah, where it sure. started. So yeah. they, and then they spread the stores across the country. I think they loved it because they had the patent until 1979. So they had about probably, I don't know when they bought it probably in like 69. So they had about 10 years with the patent or maybe, maybe five. And they loved it because they had a reoccurring revenue stream. But but what happened during that is they trained people to rent the tools. Like it became just a way of doing business. You included it in your bid price, your monthly rental, like a, when you bid a job. So it became part of the process to rent them. Yeah. And then, uh, that yeah, stubbornness so of drywallers was like they took to it, but then now you're locked into a rental uh, system yeah. as yeah. opposed to a sales system. Yes. and then But then the employees, if they're hourly in the union or if they're by the foot, they got used to their, in the case of the union, they got used to their. You priced it in, their but their company provided them to yeah. it. It became part of the part of the way it was done. Like you showed up and they were on the site and in the Joe box, right? So what happened was, uh, our dad wanted these tools because of this sub trade that he had met that that made more money on the job than he did, and he he had to put up a bond at the time. Yeah, I think he had to put up five thousand dollars uh, okay. against the tools, right? Because and, and so he put up this bond and he got a set from Winnipeg shipped out at the time and he went to his first job site and he uh, he had a hell of a time apparently yeah, yeah. apparently the the electrician left and the the guy like he was yelling and screaming he was so upset because when you first use the tool <laughs> your hand taper you go slower the first job right oh yeah what were the first eighty jobs. There you go. No, no, no. But I think it takes about yeah. No, you're right. Three you're right. jobs for sure. No, eighties. Eighties an exaggeration. No, yeah. no, I no, learned. No. I learned the bazooka. Um, I practiced a little bit in the union when they'd let me, but it yeah. took me. I, I finally. I was working with a guy. He was running the bazooka and I was doing the other tools and he left. He was like lazy and I yeah. took over the bazooka and I would say probably four or five houses. Sure. I that's had, right. I had I've it down I've, pretty good. I've heard three. I've heard 10. So right, four, probably five. Yeah. 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 So anyways, then he started using them and then, uh, but Ames, if, you, if he had to send a check by mail to the, to the office, I believe, I believe they had an office out in Vancouver after a few years of him renting. And, um, but they, if you didn't pay, they threatened to pull your tools from you, right? Which okay, so your dad was uh, renting the tools to other companies. Am I getting no? That right? He was, he was renting, renting it for himself. For okay, for himself. and he he trained he trained apprentices, not apprentices, but helpers. He trained. He he was a non-union shop, but he trained the uh, 
what happened was they would he, he hated them holding over them you know if the check got lost in the mail they threatened to take the tools back and at this time they were incorporated into his situation he needed them because he he bid based on them he he you know his timelines were based on them so he quickly realized the efficiency of the yeah. tools yeah so the patents were running out in 79 and it was in and these guys were playing around with making tools uh in a mm-hmm. town in a town not too far away on the island yeah like vancouver island just off british Columbia. This town called nanaimo so okay. anyways um he went in there to found these guys they were in the back of a drywall yard of course like like where everything happens is in the back corner of a drywall yard, right? So they they these guys had had some space in in at Hub City Supply, and they were playing around. There was two or three partners, and they were messing around. and And he he said, "I'd like to buy a set because I don't want to rent anymore yeah. at the time." And they said, "Okay." So he gave them this money of five thousand dollars or whatever it was at the time. Anyways, he kept on. That was the drywall yard my dad went to as well. So your dad bought a set. Some dudes were tinkering around yeah, with yeah, making yeah. <laughs> some some dudes. What do you know their name? Vern Bordeaux, like Vern? a French name. Yeah, he's he's passed away now. Okay. And there was um, Doug Waugh. These was, dudes were tooling drywall tools. They were. It was pretty primitive. Yeah. I, I think they had some stolen Ames tools. They were kind of. <laughs> I'm like not Frank even and Frank and tools. I'm not even yeah. kidding. They were they were just like playing around, right? Okay. So my dad kept on check, and Doug owned the drywall yard. Doug Waugh did. There might have been some yeah. stolen tools. <laughs> yeah. That. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because that's oh, the yeah. only way you could get. That's the only way you could get yeah. the tools. Yeah. Drive yeah. drive to another state, steal a set. Yeah. Sign them out under a false name, steal the set, <laughs> take them back to your state. <laughs> I don't know how they went missing, but yeah, uh, uh, the uh, I remember going to their house actually. They, the owners of that drawer, they had these huge Saint Bernards, and I was like five, and the, I would these dogs were awesome. But it was really nice. They were a nice family, and uh, they would um, my so my dad kept on checking in on these tools. Are they done? Are they done? When can I have them? Well, I think half a year went by, and of course, still there was, didn't have. His there staff. was no tools. Right? Yeah. Okay. So he said, "Do you need a partner?" Well, like they were that? in in their defense, they were thieves that he was yeah. sort of entrusting, in, entrusting yeah. to uh, to make well, his first set of tools. Hey, I your guys' audio, your audio, your vi- video has stopped for some reason. Stop video bit. Pause. Oh yeah, I can see it on the top there. We're not moving anymore. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I like uh, to I like to see the 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 animation of the Columbia. For sure. Let, let's get that back. Let me just here. try <laughs> turn, turn it off and turn it back on. Let me reset. Okay. The old reset. Reset. The great reset. The old reset button. Yeah. That is such a funny, that is a really cool story though. This Vern, this Vern character, I would have loved yeah. to have. Uh... Oh yeah. So Vern, Vern was uh, my dad, my dad, he still smiles when he talks about him. Um, I guess he was a plumber and, uh, yeah, uh, that makes sense. So this super colorful guy, uh, I remember my dad was laughing one time, telling me a story about him. Like he couldn't even hold back his laughter that Vern was working on his car one night and he was apparently a fairly tough fellow and a big fella. And he got, it was like a Barracuda, like a Dodge and seventies car, you know? Okay. And he couldn't fix a particular part, probably like an alternator or something simple. And he got so mad. He, he, beat the shit out of his car with a, with a crescent wrench. And he came in the next day, it was all wow. dented up in his own car. This guy was a bit of a wild card. Yeah. Anyway, tools weren't ready. Tools weren't ready. Keeps going back. And he says, do you need a partner? 
And they say, yeah, sure. So he comes in as a partner. I don't know how many dollars it was at the time. Probably two. probably the five thousand yeah. he spent on the set. That he no, didn't get. probably no. twenty. That was a little bit. Yeah, it was, yeah. So they had a pack. They would they would work at their. My dad was a drywall contractor. I assume uh, he had a contract in place with these characters. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, probably a loose one. Loose uh, one. Yeah, yeah. But, bar bar napkin or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah literally. Yeah. So they <laughs> they would after work they would work on the tools like uh, one. So they drywall during the day, finish drywall. Well, he did, and then the, the plumber was the plumber, and the drywall yard guy was the drywall yard guy, and then they would okay. come and work on the tools at night together. Like, yeah. as okay. A group. Well, they kept on talking and talking about needing needing molds like uh, die cast molds. Okay, right? all right. And these were twenty thousand, thirty thousand dollars, you know, at the time, still are. But anyways, um, they. Uh, I, I think they, they said that this is for big boys. We can't do this. This is, you got to be bigger. We can't, the three of us can't do it. And well, that got my dad even more interested if he, when he thought he, my dad loves to jump in the deep end. Right. So, oh, sure. And yeah. if he's like an innovator type, I mean, any kind of a, especially yeah. a big challenge, that's very attractive. Oh, he doesn't like stopping a project until he's, yeah, yeah like he's right. for sure. Or right. he's just stubborn, stubborn. Well, so, and it's but, just like working on a tool or a car or anything. I mean, all marketing and developing yeah. products is, is solving problems. Yeah. And he loves solving problems. He creates problems just so he can solve them. A series <laughs> of problems. You're correct. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 that is your job. Like that is your job. Yeah. People think, Oh, I hate my job today. I have too many problems. Well, in in the in your case and in our case, it is our job is the yeah, problem. Yeah, yeah, and you hope yeah. to have minimal in a day. You hope to, but they are there. Anyways, he um so now he had this whole thing because he bought them out of their shares, right? And then it was in our garage uh, when I was like young. It was 1981, so I was like four years old. It was in our garage. Okay. So and Aaron was about a year away from being born at the time. Okay. So yeah, so it was in our garage, and there was. A, uh, two employees in the garage all each day, and my dad would uh, go do his drywall and come home and work at night on the tools in our garage. So, yeah, okay, that's how it kind of started. And then he we moved to the mainland because well, the shipping on the island was too yeah hard. Well, Nineteen eighty one hit the 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 eighteen percent interest rates like the the uh, Paul Volcker Ray, Ronald Reagan. The, it was a big deal in your family because your dad, I by this point, I assume was really banking on this tool it's being yeah. 81 oh, yeah. Yeah. so he's gonna sell tools like he's yeah. all in he's he's made yeah. a decision and so the impact of the economy and industry and things like that is going to impact his family more than a family yeah. like mine where my dad's working for the government it's all taken yeah. care of. What, what, what was your dad's career just quickly he before... was a substation operator but he was an wow. artist and he was also a uh he was also an entrepreneur. He, him, my mom bred and sold straight Egyptian horses. So I drew, wow. I grew up on a horse farm and then, uh, my dad, uh, to fund the horse venture. Cause that didn't make any money. And that's a story ever does, but like, uh, he ran a seeding mulching and fertilizing business. He had a mulcher and wow. they would go up into the log roads in Carson, Washington, up in the Gifford Pinshaw next to the Mount St. Helens. And yeah. we, li we lived close to Mount St. Helens when it blew, but he would go wow. up there and he would blow hay seed and fertilizer all over the sides of the logging roads to prevent erosion. It would grow yeah. grass. Wow. And, and so we had like, like, like we would have semi truck loads of grass hay delivered to our house. So my dad, like on the weekends and stuff, he would buck hay and go up into the, go up into the hills with the mulching crew 
and like which were generally my brother's friends and he yeah. they would they would run jobs and mulch so and he was a tinkerer he was a putter yeah. he like he could build stuff and paint cars and he had a shop and do whatever so yeah so so what, what you know exactly what we're talking about so what i yep. call it is working to work so my dad would work so he could work right? yeah yeah so whatever whatever gave him excuses to hang out in the shop but what I mean though is your dad was your dad was working so your mom could keep doing her job that didn't make money. Like so he was, my dad was working in contracting and drywall contracting so that he could make tools that he didn't make money at. Right. That was like, his that was his bread and butter. Was was still drywall at that point. Oh, yeah. still, still drywall, yeah. Okay. And we made money on tools till for twenty years. No. Wow. A, no. A, a decade. A decade. No, I mean, I've been selling product for 10 years now, and it's not like I'm not making money. I'm investing back into the company, but yeah. Yeah. I don't think people realize no. the the vast extent of work and passion and stick-to-itiveness and, and that, that it takes to drive a product, especially in this industry. And maybe other industries are the same. I don't know. But this industry, especially, just you have to be a special breed. Along. Well, you got to keep reinvesting the money, yeah. right? Yeah. You got to keep, like, imagine sitting at the blackjack table and you just keep doubling down. Like, eventually you think, That's well, right. I better, I'd like to take something out here, but you cannot. Well, you can, but to your own peril, right? Like, yeah, really, because, you know, you got inefficient systems you got to fix or, or, you know, customers you want to go get. So, yeah, so he was traveling. We would drop him off at this little airport and he would travel and uh, shipping wasn't good because there's a ferry between the island and the mainland and travel wasn't good for him uh, because you had to take a commuter over to Vancouver to get a bigger plane to go anywhere, yeah. anywhere. So he had. So where was he prim primarily marketing when Columbia first came out was he sticking west, to regional west, just canada just canada just he canada was, he, yeah. vancouver calgary toronto winnipeg uh, was, winnipeg was first winnipeg yeah the first adoption because ames had laid the groundwork there okay so winnipeg was our first dealer ever he so was coming still, in on the coattails of ames's hard work pushing the tools into the into the trade right. now right. he's introducing all of a sudden a new purchasing but even then even though ames was known Still, not a lot of people knew about the drywall tools. So he would Some, he would go to job sites and he would just train people on the job sites. Like he would go on and he'd race right. them. They'd be hand taping, and he'd be racing them with the automatic taper. Beautiful. And they would like it, and then they'd let him finish the job for them. So sometimes he'd get screwed because he'd they would just say, hey, oh yeah, keep going, next room, next room. <laughs> but uh, uh, there's still some hand tapers today that'll take that oh, yeah. Pepsi challenge. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, they're out there. Sure. No, there's, there's. He could still beat them too. There's a percentage. He taped the other he day. He taped the other day, and he said, "I think I could still be one of the fastest drywallers out there." Oh god. Oh sure. Anyways, but then, yeah, I think it's actually Foundation Winnipeg now. Yeah. The, the first yard was called Winrock Winnipeg at the time, which was Winnipeg Rock, like Winrock. Okay. And uh, and uh, it's Foundation now, I believe. Yeah. And we still sell to them to this day, 40, yeah. 43 years later. Yeah. So. Beautiful. So that is the early, we're still in the early eighties time period. Now, are there other companies that are emerging yeah. after this release yeah. and two part question is aim still leasing or renting yeah. tools? Yeah. Rental only. Yeah. Rental only. How long did they do that before they started selling? Well, they bought tape tech. So there okay. was, um, all right. There was tape tech in Seattle. There was tape master in Chicago there was tape worm in Texas. Dallas Fort Worth. 
Oh no, Long Beach at the time. Oh yeah. So he Beach. still he had some strict uh, competition. Oh yeah. yeah. And, and were they? Were, he was. Was he smaller at the time? Yeah, he was smaller. Yeah. Okay, and and there was also a premiere. Premiere out of Belmont or uh, the Bay Area in California. Oh so wow. Tape Deck, yeah, Tape Deck was in Seattle, and they they were they were doing the best job. They were they were out in front. Okay. And Tapeworm had made the tool quite different. It's still out there today. Merco Mud still sells Tapeworm uh, in your area, even probably right. Mer- do you, is there Merco Mud there? Uh yeah, Elite Drywall loves to use Merco with the yeah. with yeah he gets it by the truckload. Yeah, the Merco family is um, still owns Tapeworm, but they're very small Tapeworm comparatively. Uh, they just kind of, but anyways, yeah. So there's what's is tape Tapeworms an automatic taper? Yeah, yep. but it's hard. It, it's mainly sold through the through the Merco stores in uh, in in Texas. They don't really. They're not interested in competing in that space. No. No, I think the I think the tools are still the original tools. No, they're like a great family. Like the employees have been they're there forever. Strong. They're the yeah. They, 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 um, I'm not sure they know who we are anymore. They, Freeman also does a uh, uh, taper now, uh, automatic taper. What's Dwayne. he? Yeah, Dwayne. Yeah. 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 Does it, what? What is his uh, uh, so brand? He was he he was Blue Line. He was he just, Blue Line. Yeah, which was kind of the restart. That was of, Premier, yeah. Well, it, it was like Premier. it was a kind of like looked like looked and felt and ran like Premier. So aim. So actually, we'll take one step back. Okay. So Ames bought Tape Master. Okay. They bought tape. They bought Tape Tech first. Tape Tech. Then tape Master. Tape Master. Then they bought Concord. Okay. Which is a later startup, and then they bought Premier. They bought Premier last. They bought four of the companies. And they shut the brands wow. down. They 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 kind of uh, yeah yeah. WTF? WTF? Ames? Not Tape Tech. They didn't shut down. Obviously, they didn't shut down Tape Tech. Yeah. It's still their brand today. They went with one brand in, in the sold space. So, do you think they did that just to get market share? Yeah, I think eliminate competition. Yeah, I think it was a way. I th- I think at first they tried to protect the rental market. Like any good company would, but then they realized that, yeah. that, that they, they needed to get involved in the sold. I market. guess it's just good old fashioned capitalism. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, they, they, were, they were they were protecting what something they had a hundred percent of before. All right, they, fair enough, they, fair enough. Yeah. No shame, no shame, uh, okay, Ames. No, no. And then, uh, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, that that it reminds me. I was talking with Shane Larson, who told me to give you guys a shout out to the platformer. Yeah, um, he's in Alberta, he, there, right? E- yeah. I'm so Canadian. Um, so yeah, he is a fellow Canadian. Um, he said to tell you guys, he's got a pump and uh, two boxes that he's had for 28 years. Yeah, and they're still working flawlessly. So oh, nice. I'll, I'll, I'll leave. Just shout out, shout out there. And yeah, um, but I, man, I love this conversation. It's so interesting. Oh, I do know what when we went out the, when we were on the road before. There would be L and W yards, which we internally at our company called USG yards, right? Okay. And then there would be where they didn't have a yard, they'd have a, a partner in that town, and they would be called a USG friendly yard. Okay. So it could be something like that still going on. I don't know, but that would be kind of their pick out of a town. So in Albuquerque, before L and W had a yard, they'd have a partner they'd work with there, an independent. Okay. They sell to both. I know they sell to both Chaparral and L and W here. Yeah. 
I think it's I think it's cha- it's that, changing yeah. and probably and, changed. Yeah. I mean, that's a now that's an tight industry, like the board industry, like that's tight. <laughs> like, there's <laughs> not guys, that many out those there. Those guys aren't playing. They're no, not man. They're no, not playing. They, they want it all. Oh yeah. <laughs> big big money, b- big capital investment, big Apparently, like billions, would, right? Like that's a billion, billion dollar. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That is, <laughs> yeah. creating corporations. They're yeah, they're massive. And that's oh where, my gosh! Kind of need to have someone. Warren like, Buffett owns them. Oh, of- <laughs> Warren, Warren Buffett has a share Warren of USG. He he yeah, he bought a bunch of shares during the crash of 09. He bought a bunch of shares of USG. They, yeah, yeah. And oh, they I did had, not know that. And then they had to buy him back out. He he had a it was a loan. He bought. He, he got bonds like a loan okay he, he could convert it to equity within a period of time okay well he was gonna do that or he, so that's actually why they sold l and w to raise cash to get rid of they had to pay him back. To pay him oh back. my gosh oh we got to get warren buffett on the show i would yeah charlie no. munger and warren got buffett. a couple of years left <laughs> yeah couple years oh, so, yeah so, 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 so <laughs> a, abc bought and ABC apparently is a great company, a roofing company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. A couple yeah. of the checks that I've gotten recently for product has been from ABC company, and then I need to yeah. give them. They had to. They requested a uh, safety data sheet, SDS sheet. Oh yeah, they're a little yeah. bit more. So now it's a little bit more. You gotta have. You gotta have yeah. your your eyes dotted and your T's crossed. Apparently, why USG was so powerful versus the other brands for years and still is very powerful was they wrote the book on uh high-rise buildings with gypsum and they had like books that were like 10 inches thick on data right? i've got one i've got yeah. the usg handbook and yeah. I, i've even said in the past like why the hell do they get to write the handbook i was like there yeah. ain't no yeah. chapter on colored mud in here <laughs> <laughs> you gotta write you gotta write the new book i may have to write the new book yeah, so, and I'll so, call it the new drywall book. So what, so what happened is because of, the, because of the USG handbook and all the testing behind it, the USG gets specced into jobs. It gets specced in by the architect. So that was a big thing for you. Well, that goes back to my interview with uh, with uh, Buck Buchanan. They were all like they were all making deals like at a certain uh, time with the stucco and all of that in the 70s and 60s. And that was the formation of the AWCI was an organization where they all realized they had to get together in some capacity to move these products. And the book Behind the Walls by Buck Buchanan is about the history of EFS, that product. Yeah, no, that's... uh, It's interesting. It really is. There's some crazy stories from the old days because it was so... I mean, let's face it. Drywall contractors are hardworking. They're they're generally humble people. Yeah. Um, and the people that serve them had to be similar, right? And good old boys, as they say, right? Sure. And you can imagine these corporate guys with cowboy boots on, and it just would have been a crazy time to be in the industry, right? Like with these small towns, there was. No I think it's still. I and, think it still is that way. It like, is. I think so too. That's what you see at the local level, don't you? Like, like people know each other. People a little bit. Uh, Ron over at this L and W is a super cool guy. The guys at Chaparral, they were very cool. Um, a little less. Like it's getting, you know, it's getting more progressive. Those, those, that school is aging out, and now we've got like the cams, and yeah. even people like me in the in their forties and us, yeah. who who 
who understand like the internet. We're old enough to know pre-internet, but yeah. you know, Cam Cam will get upset, but there is some advantages to having knowledge of like before internet. Um, you know, I was I was ribbing him a little bit about the millennial thing, but uh, yeah. uh you know, our generation and it's big in, in the in the drywall world. Like I was telling him, I was like, you you got to go on Facebook. Like, the, like a lot of the drywall, um, a lot of the drywall people are more Facebook inclined than Instagram tends to be younger. TikTok is younger still, um, you know. So you're losing out. These guys that just do Instagram are really losing out on a big, a big margin of people that just go on Facebook. Yeah. For huge sure. marketing he's potential up, he's up on the millennials i'm i'm a millennial myself by by one year by one year yeah he, he's up he's younger than the millennial right oh, i don't yeah, even, yeah 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 he's I'm like just... a gen a gen whatever but then yeah he's right our generation does classify because it's um because we lived through that yeah you know those shifts because uh generationally it wasn't a thing back when we were younger they didn't like there was the gen, you know, there was yeah. a baby boomers. That was it. Yeah, yeah, that was it. There was the greatest generation, and then the baby boomer, boomers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. <laughs> yeah. No. It's uh. It's uh. And they were like the baby boomers are like, in my opinion, the baby boomers are so the greatest generation, the World War II generation, were often quite stoic. Your grandfather, your grandfathers, your grandmothers, they um we're kind of humble and kind of like, yeah, they, they'd seen a lot of change in the world. They'd seen world war two or fought in world war two and, uh, or, or experienced the rations or different problems that happened throughout that or had friends or uncles that fought or brothers. Yeah. Our parents, our parents, no, our, our, gra our, our, our grandfathers, grandparents, grandparents, yeah. grandparents. but our parents, the boomers, I, I find they're like, they're fascinating. They, they, they all kind of like, there's a lot of them have these like kind of big egos, you know, and they're, you guys are out there listening. Yeah. You have to bear, you have to bear with me here. They so, will. They have the no whole, choice. The whole, they have no choice. It's, it's just, <laughs> yeah. So what happened was like McDonald's was formed around them and A&W drive-ins were formed around them. The car, the 57 Chevy, the, the Corvette, the, the whole world shifted for this massive glut and population. Right. And it's yeah. called the, uh, they call it the pig and the python, you know, like if a python eats a pig that you got this bump running through the python, you know what I mean? This big bump inside of the snake. So the pig and the python is the baby boomers and they, they, they've, they've moved elections, they've moved policy, they moved everything for their whole lives. So they had a lot of power and they had a lot of freedom. They had, they had rock and roll with Elvis. They had hippies. The hippies. Yeah. Well, they, they turned into the hippies. Yeah. 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 They, they dominated the world for years, yeah. for years and years and they still do. But I think it's changing right now. I think it's like it's changing right now. Oh yeah, where, where, where politicians are looking at other people to campaign to. They only had to campaign to the boomers before for a period of time. So we're in a massive shift right now. Like, but those boomers were uh, they had they they, they 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 thought they were had it pretty good. I think they did have it post World War II, right? Yeah, it was like the, the world that was not at war anymore. It was peaceful for decades in 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 the West, anyways. Right. Right. And, and they, they had, uh, if you started a business back then, Nick, it was pretty easy. Hey, you just, yeah, you just, you it wasn't a thing in the eighties, <laughs> in the eighties, uh, being an entrepreneur, wasn't a thing like, like my dad doing that side, yeah. uh, you know, mulching 
business like he just did that and it made good money he could have done that full time but he he was still under the school of i need the insurance for my family i need that that security yeah Yeah. Yeah. and that that with our generation is a little looser now somebody like me is like "Eh, i don't want to go to college i'm gonna do fancy color joint compound walls i think yeah and i don't really care about having a career and i was on the front end of that curve 20 years ago yes um uh okay so back to back to your dad is now marketing post uh ames rental the 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 patent has been released now other brands can sort of come out he's competing against a handful of other brands ames is sort of still has market share they've got tape tech and um He's marketing on the West Coast. Let's just sort of start the timeline from there. He's, um, I guess the question would be, how does he grow from there? We were, we grew from there by actually, like I said, driving around to job sites and training people how to use the tools. We were, Elliot did it. We all did it. We were, we had a camper that we, we used to drive around and that was our family vacation was going out to Edmonton, Calgary, Montana. Nice. So that's be- a better question is how did you two get wrangled into this stuff? Well, we didn't have a choice. <laughs> we didn't have a choice. Weekends and I summers believe that. Were spent, weekends and summers were spent working. At Your the, dad was uh, like, okay, you guys are old enough. Time to hand you this, ni- this now, nightmare. Like, you can turn on a machine and start drilling holes. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's what we were doing. You know, you know what the deal was? I, it, we didn't have a, he, he needed our labor. He needed it. We got... We got we had to work right. half our we had to work half our holidays so half Christmas holiday half of summer holiday half of uh, spring break and Saturdays uh, Saturdays and then when we got our driver's license we had to work Tuesdays and Thursdays for four hours after school and uh, yeah. okay and then we and, and then we got paid minimum wage but we had to buy our own clothes that was the deal yeah dude hardcore <laughs> my I was given the choice so my dad was yeah, like you, was you can deal? you can come mm-hmm. and work on the mulching crew which is generally like a party but it was a hard work and uh you know like my brother would drive the truck uh there were two dudes that were bucking hay onto the mulcher my dad would drive the mulcher spitting out hay all over the side of the hill yeah. and my sister or I would cut strings off of the bales. We'd pull the strings and then we'd separate the hay before it goes into the chute. Yeah. Lost lots of pocket knives. Um, <laughs> right, right through the mulcher. And that was hard work. That was like, yeah. you know, um, I go and sleep in the truck and then my dad would get mad, you know, so they'd be like loading hay back onto the trailers and I go and sleep in the truck. And I remember one time my dad was like, he was like, why weren't you out here helping? And I was like, I got tired. It's yeah. like, well, I dropped, I, I was like, there, I can't buck that hay. And he was like, I dropped my hay hook once. You could have gotten that. And I did, all, you know, oh. there's all kinds of stuff you could have been doing <laughs> oh, out here. Oh, yeah. So he was cool. He'd let me sleep. But then I get like, you know, oh, I get the shame I, I think, guilt I think, afterwards. I think he was training you for Fresco Harmony. I think he was training you like, well, but you're going, what, what could I do? Um, there's always something you can be doing. <laughs> what really yeah. trained me how to work, though, was, I mean, we grew up in Washington. So you guys know it's cold. In Vancouver, yeah. it's cold sure. and rainy. So we, it was mud. It was cold water. It was like watering the horses, shoveling horse crap, cleaning the barn. Like that was my that was my steady work as a child. But yeah, so in the factory, when, when I worked there as a young kid, I had to work with all these, like, remember like the 80s guys, the rocker guys, like the like the Twisted Sister Iron Maiden shirts, like all these. Yeah, like, of course. 
and they drive in the Camaros and, yeah. and the, the yeah smoking darts yeah. Yeah. In their shirt. They, yeah they'd have the cigarettes rolled up in the side oh, of their their yeah. white rum shot. yeah Billy Madison when Billy Madison goes back to school and he yeah. goes <laughs> he goes to, he yeah he goes to high school he has an Ario Speedwagon shirt yeah. and he's driving so we, a Trans Am here yeah. we are 15 years old working with these guys <laughs> working with these guys right yeah. all the time because we're the boss's son right yeah, and, yeah. right. I, they would like they would like we got treated like shit. Right? They chucked me in the dumpster. Oh, yeah. the, they chucked me in the dumpster was one of their fun tricks. And then they would, uh, one time they tied Steal your lunch, tied me up with a rope like a pirate. You know, like and I fell Beautiful. over, and I cracked my cheek. And nice, uh, yeah. But they but they were fun. They oh, they were nice guys. Yeah, were... we would get the scarecrow, and so they would hold me down on the hay truck, and they would just stuff. <laughs> yeah. They would stuff hay in every oh, in every you know, part of my you know body. The right of yeah. yeah. And those were like the those were like the eighties guys too. They were hardcore, like yeah. you know, That's like a small town. That that area is a small town. Uh, I was in that was that was Carson. We he did the bulk of his mulching in Battleground, Washington, but it was still the Gifford Pinshaw area. You still had access to it. That's where I'm from. My drywall uh, beginning was in Woodland, Washington, at Fleetwood Homes of America, right there on I five. Yeah. I would travel up I five every day to work, and yeah. we were doing uh we were do they were doing um mobile homes and yeah. they were doing um quick setting joint compound was all they used, and they were running that stuff through the through the tools even oh, and then God. they had these big heating washers these big washers that they would put the tools in. Uh, I've so heard, I've the, heard, they, they, they've been doing that for years and they've had a lot of trouble doing that for years crazy just yeah, like they, they, i think they still do that in australia quite a bit they were doing that up to 10 years ago anyways they just started kind of i know they started making more americanized mud out there but they use quick set forever through the tools that's why we never sold a lot of tapers there but they would, mm. they would use the pumps and boxes and yeah yeah we had to make a quick disconnect head on a on a mastic tube for marletti homes in hermiston oregon they we, we've worked with them over the years to, and I've been in those factories. They move on chains, right? The houses move on like a chain drive. They move on a air. Air now. Okay. They blow up on the, well, this was 23, 24 yeah. years ago. They blow up on these pockets of air and then huh. one division will push the, push the home down and then push it over. And I was in the drywall division there. And that's where I wa learned to walk on stilts and there's a lot of stories from that place, but that was my introduction to drywall. Oh wow! And then, and then your your the rest of your family went other ways, like other industries, like your brother and sister you mentioned earlier. Like, yeah, I'm other... first generation. Like, I okay, liked yeah. I liked the mud. I thought it was cool. Um, I was out of college and I needed a job, and I remember wanting to get put in the drywall division because I was like, oh, that looks cool. They're work. They're working with mud. I was instantly drawn to the mud, and that's why a lot of the interviews that you hear, I'll ask about, mud. like you know, were you drawn to it? Like, because I think there's that's a connection with drywallers that there's like otherwise, this is a well, there's a huge art, it's a thankless trade. It's like it you know, you really have to be like drawn to the artistic nature of. Well, you can finish it a thousand medium. different ways and still get yeah. the same result, right? So you correct. Can, you can, yeah, you can customize your job no, but, however you want to. No, but let's talk about this. I, I think I think that drywallers get a bad rap. It's like a job yeah. that no one else wanted, but it's not true. That's no. not accurate. It's not. No, even I like it. I enjoy That's it. That's what's cool about the yeah. whole social media thing. And yeah, we could make the trade 
what it was and which is yeah. cool. It's the coolest trade out there. Well, yeah, I, and if you I, listen I, to the Drywall Shorty podcast, she's like, we talk about that. You know, she likes doing it. Like she yeah. likes working hard and getting home at night and feeling that tired feeling. Like, and I know exactly yeah. what she's talking well, about. And Drywall is understand that you have to you have to have that perseverance. It's hard work, but it's not like back breaking. Hanging drywall is Hanging, fin- yeah. finishing drywall is hard work, but it's not. You can you can retire as a drywall finisher. Um, you know, it's not going to kill you. I talk to guys that are seventy years old still running tools. Like, yeah, I know, but the drywall shorty. I mean, not to not to misquote her, but she told me that she was working like in an insurance office selling insurance or something, doing pretty good doing that, and she hated it. Yeah. And she's like, I want to do something else. And she loves what she does. So that's yeah. really cool. Yeah, but- I, I've worked at a couple places. I mean, I liked that the time went by really fast. I liked learning something new. For me, it got old. And I know it does get old for a lot of drywall finishers. And that's where I started to veer towards the color. I was like, oh, I can use all this skill that I have and do something cool with it. Like that was the invention of Fresco Harmony. It, part of it was to make money, but part of it was because I wanted to really exploit those artistic talents. And I could do that doing specialty walls. And, you know, if I could make the same amount of money doing yeah, the benefit of the using mud instead of plaster. And yeah. Why yeah. use plaster? I was used to mud, man. And yeah. I liked mud and I liked the way it cleaned off my tools. And I liked the way the ready mix you could you could wipe down the edge of your bucket and come back the next day and it was still ready to ready to go, you know? And I still, I still like, and the farther I went down that rabbit hole, the longer it was like, this just makes sense, you know? Yeah. Uh, um, drywall, the, the, like we talked about drywall finishers, uh, you know, the 80s perception was rough and ready. But the thing is, is that there's a... Uh, there's a talent um, there that, that that most people don't know. Like there's an artistic side, but there's also, there's a feel to the trade that I've witnessed over the years that these guys have. And it's not, they can't even really describe it. They're like, this is how I do my butt joints, but they, they don't really tell They don't really have words for it, but there's yeah. a talent. There. There's a real talent. There's an eye and there's a talent. They're very tactile people. Um, I think even the, uh, the Hispanic culture yeah, they came up from Mexico. They did so much work with trowels down there with their house, their, their home building with stucco and different forms of building down there. I think it was yeah. a natural crossover to drywall up here. Well, and I think I think the immigrant labor force drove prices down, and it helped make it more of a commodity. You know, and and that's a challenge with the drywall industry today. Yeah. But that is not to take away from the skill level that it still takes like those dudes they're busting houses out but they're still using a tremendous amount of skill and i think there's something to be learned from that culture in that how they bring up the people into the trade that western culture is not doing that we're not we don't have you know we're not bringing our kids to the job site and teaching them that trade like they do in the hispanic culture yeah yeah that's or, or other, the, or, or even like the Mennonite culture. Other people do that. You're right. Right. They're, they're, they're right. Different, different cultures. There's respect for the tra- for being a tradesman, and they also respect hard work. Yeah. And we we keep losing that and keep losing that, and now they're making drywall robots. You know, and yeah, yeah. you know it's funny, but it's not. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think I think the uh, the the drywall finisher. I heard one guy tell me that it's the only trade that has to be on the job site alone. Yeah, and maybe painting, maybe, but like electricians can be there with 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 insulators or insulators can be there with HVAC and but the drywaller generally works alone. Yeah. With, sure. Without anybody else inside the home. And then and they're told that they gotta do it in four days. Get it done and, quick yeah. and get out of here. Yeah. We're always getting screwed on the time. I know. Right? The electrician took like, long. Hey, you know what? Fixed. The plumber, the we had to wait for parts. The plumber took an extra three weeks. So you guys have three days to be out of yeah, here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think it's cool that we're putting personalities to yeah. to these people and then they're getting yeah. out there. It's like like and the podcast is more more of that, right? It's getting these personalities out there. It's it's huge. Cool. Like, I, you know, it's exceeding my expectations. The original idea was just that, like, I would have these conversations with dudes kind of marketing Fresco Harmony, and we get into these long-winded conversations about drywall. But also, I listened to podcasts, you know, and I was like, why isn't there a cool drywall podcast? You know, that would be so neat. Well, that's how it all starts yeah. anyways, right? Yeah. I mean, that's how, like, even when uh, we found, I found Phil on Instagram there, PRC taping there. Mm-hmm. I think he had maybe a thousand followers or 1600 followers. And I'm, I, I, I Googled hashtag Columbia tools one day. I was like, oh, I wonder if our stuff's on there, right? I was playing around and... <laughs> Then I see Phil running this stuff and he was into punk rock music. And I was into sure. that as, as, a, as a young guy or whatever. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll start a conversation with this guy. We started talking about bands and stuff. And I'm like, I'm like, dude, you're running our tools on there right now. I'm like, why don't we work? To, why don't I send you some stuff and let's test some stuff out and kind of went from there. And then I was like, why not give these guys credit where credit's due? Right. I mean, like, that's yeah. so smart. Um, I, that's that. I, and that would be a good ending point to, um, you know, uh, the first episode of Columbia tool. Cause this is definitely a two parter. We've got to take off where, where, um, I guess where your dad is marketing the tools where Aaron and Elliot sort of come into focus you know, you guys taking over the company and, you know, where you've driven, you know, kind of like the present day and also getting into where you guys headed with Columbia tools yeah. and we can get into more, more into marketing and stuff like that. But I, I think I, and stop me if I'm wrong, there's another hour here, right? Yeah, for sure. sure. Yeah. Okay. Where I'd want to leave this one is, is related to your project and your company and Fresco Harmony and our, our current company. Sure. Is that have you ever heard of the hundredth monkey theory or the hundredth monkey phenomenon? The hundredth have you ever heard of that one? No. It's like a Japanese primatologist. I, I don't know this totally. I have to read we'll have to read up on it, but sure. They like observed that these monkeys were washing these their food in a certain way. And then they he taught them another way, or he showed a group of them another way. And after a certain amount a critical mass learned it, it became innate within the culture yes. of, of, of the primates. And all of a sudden there was like monkeys on other islands doing it. Yeah. Like it was, it, be, it went through like the air, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. It, it shifted. Enough. It, like, so that's what we're doing. I have heard of that. Yeah. yeah. I, I have, there's a name for, there's an actual name for that phenomenon. The, yeah. There's studies that have been done. There's books like the tipping point and there's, you know, critical mass and, mm-hmm. but you're sitting there with Fresco Harmony and you're like, you're at, you're, at, you're, you're trying to hit that hundred hundredth monkey. Right now. I think, I think, <laughs> no, seriously, I, I think, no, you're obviously working with humans, but 
I think <laughs> yeah. I actually think that that your product if, if now if a product Elliot, Elliot, yeah, we're sorry. gonna cancel that thing. If a product's horrible, it'll never make it, right? Like like sure. you can you can prop it up, you can spend your life, you know what I mean? Like yeah, but but I think you have something just based on the photos and the videos I've seen. Thank you. That has a I obviously you being the inventor and the dreamer you think it should be everywhere and i and i don't disagree with you sure but i think i think it has a part of every market in, in north america yeah, anyways sure. it, it, sure. it, it should have a percentage of every every town should have x amount of restaurants or homes with it in it i think yeah for sure yeah yeah it, it should at the very least be an option when you go into awesome. a home and they're like do you want level five or do you want texture and paint and and me as a homeowner i don't even know that i have a choice besides chocolate and vanilla that makes zero sense. Like, okay, you could do plaster, but it's going to cost you 10 times as much. Like, wouldn't it be nice if there was just kind of another option? Yeah. <laughs> like, there's yeah. more options of taping tools, automatic taping tool companies, than there are options for your wall in your home. Think about that. Yeah. Yeah. And and like, like we talked about the percentage of uh, the home that is wall and ceiling. And we also talked about, or we did, maybe didn't talk about, is yeah. the alternative cost of making a room look like your product makes it look. The, what, what is the alternative cost? Uh, I don't know the answer, but say I wanted to do a 20 by 20 room with nine foot, 10 foot ceiling with your product versus sure. the alternative to make it look, what, 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 what's the differential in cost? No, that's a good question. I mean, it's all over the board. I've seen yeah. American Clay is a product developed yeah. here in Albuquerque that it goes Beautiful, as much as twelve dollars a square foot in Santa Fe. That's I'm at th I'm at three fifty a square foot right now. Well, in, there you go. That's right? the difference. Yeah. But I've also seen American Clay going for three fifty a square foot in Albuquerque. So it kind of yeah. it's all over the board. But I'm on the lower end of the spectrum for sure. The yeah. problem is people don't know there's an option. It's not big enough. American yeah. Clay and Variants and these other products didn't solve the problem of, I need a simple solution for beautiful walls. That's what Fresco Harmony is. You need to get, in, you need to get in a motorhome with your children and you yeah, need to drive right. around at job sites and you need to just start doing walls. I'll around. take it one step better though, is what I was thinking was, huh. So I've talked to a couple people and it's like, okay, well, wouldn't that be cool to do like a giveaway where we go to Columbia Tools and then somebody else like gets to come to Columbia Tools and we show them Fresco Harmony and stuff. But how cool would it be to go to where somebody is, especially that hasn't used the tools and maybe is a skeptic and we have a giveaway where we go to maybe they have to be a hand finisher or they're interested in trying the tools. Uh, and we go to where they're at and show them, yeah. uh, you know, talk to the builder, show the builder how to sell or do a free wall in Fresco Harmony. And we show them the tools. And it's been a long time since I've ran the tools. I'd love to like, you know, throw up some tape, hey, you know, at, a, at an actual house, like on location. I think that would be super cool. You're sitting there with this awesome product and you're like, how do I get in the, on the menu for homeowners and builders, right? Because that, that's all you really need to do is get on the menu, I think, to get yeah. enough, to get to get you where you want to be. Yeah. yeah. This podcast is a great, great idea. Yeah, now that these, there's lots of options to get out there without having to, yeah, you can do it through podcasts, social media. There's lots of options. But how many things in this world are the way, the, what do they call it, the normalcy bias? It's pretty powerful, hey? 
like like just to do it the way it's been done is very powerful oh yeah like in in so many ways that old technology stays around for dozens of years uh when when it, ha it really has no place sometimes yes. me and uh me and jason weiler who used to own all wall equipment we uh, last week went to eddie vetter in las vegas together okay and we were talking about like allison chains fellows passed away obviously nirvana fellow passed away and yep chris, chris cornell. cornell from soundgarden yeah he's like the last guy left of those he's four Eddie right yeah. from the seattle scene uh <laughs> What I liked about watching Eddie was like he's like this A-list guy that acts like a like a C-list guy or D-list. Oh he's yeah, like, yeah. He super, seems like a cool dude. Like he's he forever. Just, he's forever like Seattle grunge scene. Yeah, yeah, forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, um, cool. Should we wrap up and do part two a different day? Or <laughs> yeah, part two. Right yeah, now? I was gonna say we'll take off. I I like the direction we were going with the branding. Yeah. Phil, um, yeah, we'll get into we'll get into the that's the where we could we could start and where you guys sort of take over the company yeah, yeah. and how maybe how you did it differently from your dad. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um and yeah, just such a pleasure, you guys, talking with Likewise. you about this stuff. And I think this is good content. I think people are, even if they don't know they are. I think especially the tool guys are very interested in like the whole Ames conversation and you guys just have so much background on that. It's very cool. So, um, what's uh, what's funny is that for the two, the two podcasts, so there's like my dad and who he sold to, and there's like Aaron and I, and who we've sold to my dad could sell to those guys in the eighties because he was a he was one of those guys, right? The seventies and eighties, he was a boomer and, yeah. and they knew, they knew how to sell to each other. They, those boomers, they, repaired everything themselves remember right remember how they like fixed everything yeah and they like made it they made stuff last forever right whereas aaron and i kind of understand the consumer economy which has evolved since, since uh 1995 or so the internet and and people just buy new stuff now you know you just like i mean like remember wrenching on your bike when you were a kid right like like yeah they don't do people don't do that anymore they just buy another one they, you know throw it on craigslist or buy it and, craigslist. and the products are they're counting on you buying another one too they make they make the stuff to break easier yeah. and that's part of the whole well, commercial, that's, that's, commercialism yeah that's, yeah that's terrible and you know you know what we're talking about like say that you have like you buy a set of walkie talkies for your kids or something we're talking about like a dollar that the manufacturing company's saving to not thicken little I transistors know. and like it's like the thing's perfectly good except for one little wire that frays or breaks. I equate it to like cereal, to like breakfast cereal, like okay. you know, or or chips where they put the they puff the air into the chips. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Shrinkflation. Yeah. 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 More more you know, it's more expensive, you get less less yeah. stuff. Well, they, you know. That's we, we don't ever want that to happen in the drywall industry, but yeah. I think if you're, you know, at a certain point, you get big enough to where it's, and it is happening in the drywall industry. People are complaining about the sheetrock and um, I'd like to get, you know, I'd like to get a rep for those companies to talk to about the failing sheetrock that's occurring lately that I am seeing uh, threads go about it, but we'll, we'll get to that at a certain point. Aaron yeah. and Elliot, Columbia Tools, uh, we will save how you know your uh, pearl of wisdom for the uh part two um and we're gonna wrap it up today i appreciate you guys being on the podcast thank you elliot, elliot's wondering when we get to smoke a joint on the podcast yeah, he's, Elon Musk. he's yeah. only ever listened to one podcast and that was it he thought you just smoke joints and drink you just smoke joints i feel like 
maybe in like Rogan with Moss. I'm like, oh, you got to talk though. Oh, maybe okay. in the eighties, like that would have been cool. But it's like, <laughs> c- yeah. come on, come on, guys. Like, I mean, yeah. pot's legal. How how edgy is it? Yeah, how edgy is that? Exactly. Well, you know, what? and we'll and you guys are just gonna be like stupid and forget shit while I'm trying to like get fucking information yeah, out of you. Yeah. True. <laughs> Good, true. Nick. Man. Thanks for having us. Yeah, no, we no 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 marijuana. <laughs> Okay, you guys, you have a fantastic day, and uh, I'll, our, I'm sure our listeners will be uh, ready for part two. Awesome, thanks, thanks. All right, all right, talk to you soon. Yeah, man. Special thanks to Aaron and Elliot for being with us on the Drywall Podcast today. We value your opinion on these issues that affect our industry, and we appreciate your time. The Drywall Podcast was brought to you today by Fresco Harmony. Fresco Harmony, making walls better since 2004. If you'd like more information about Fresco Harmony, about the Drywall Podcast, or anything, you can contact me directly at info at frescoharmony.com. You can listen to the Drywall Podcast every Friday on platforms such as Podbeam, Spotify, Apple Podcast, and also YouTube. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. There's lots of good content there that you may not see or hear on the actual podcast. Thank you so much for listening today, and remember... Keep drywalling.